Welcome back to the holiday edition of Information's Crossroad podcast. This is Abby Miller back at it again to host the pod where this week we have Alan Marks, partner at Millbank and a reliable source on all things infrastructure and project finance. Uh, Alan, welcome to the show. Hi, Abby. Thanks very much. So as is customary this time of year, we're taking into account all that's happened within the past 12 months, good and bad, and looking ahead to 2021, what it might bring with the new Biden administration, vaccine rollout, and how all of those things might impact the infrastructure world. So let's get into it. Um, I know, Alan, that you mentioned before we started recording that being an attorney, there are some things that you can't get too detailed about. So if that happens, just let me know. And I thought I'd let our listeners know ahead of time. Okay, that's, that's kind um, of you. I will. So, great. Yeah, so I will start out um, with how the market might be different next year, learning lessons that we learned, I guess, this past year with COVID-19. In terms of new greenfield deals, do you think we'll see anything different that we haven't seen or that maybe might either come to the market as a result of COVID or that authorities might push forward as a result of COVID, whether that be things like cold storage facilities for the Pfizer vaccine um, or airport, airport cargo holds also for vaccine maintenance or for increased online shopping like we've seen so much this year? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying certainly next year, 2021, I hope will be less volatile than 2020 was with the shock of the pandemic. Uh, we had a lot of market dislocation and liquidity issues in public markets, certainly, and also in marks for certain debt instruments in the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter. We've kind of got through all that, and financial markets have been pretty resilient. We're coming into a new administration. There will be new regulations. We can talk about the political climate later. We're still in a low interest rate environment, and there's plenty of liquidity. So the question is, where will it go? Infrastructure is a very long-term asset class. I don't think that some of the intense investment that may be needed in logistics around cold storage for vaccines that you mentioned uh, or other things dealing with the public health situation will really drive infrastructure investment. But I do think that because of kind of shifts that we've seen over the last year and going through the remainder of this pandemic situation uh, as the public health situation gets cleaned up, I do think we'll see increased investment in some types of asset classes. So for example, long-term, there may be a shift in investment away from mobility, uh, transit and transportation assets into what I'll call virtual mobility, which is basically digital infrastructure. And we're already seeing uh, funds, strategics, uh, corporates investing in data centers, in the fiber that connects them, and of course in energy, in particular renewable energy, uh, to service uh, the tremendous energy demands uh, of digital infrastructure. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Um, and each year, there are typically a few kind of big ticket projects in the U.S. pipeline. Obviously, some of those roll over, like we've been talking about the Capital Beltway project for years on end now. But there also are usually a few that either reach financial close or get close to it um, and are seen as kind of the success of the year. Where do you think those might fall next year in terms of sector? Yeah, I think I look at sectors. First, uh Given the kind of pleasantly surprising speed with which the vaccines have been able to be developed, uh, we might see a recovery in air demand, air traffic uh, demand and travel generally sooner than anticipated. Uh, you know, we saw drop-offs of from 60 to 80% in air traffic uh, volumes. Cargo actually remained pretty strong over the, you know, some parts of this year. 
and a lot of airport project financings as a result uh, and infrastructure concessions were put on hold. You know, I've been working on JFK Terminal 1 uh, and some of the projects at LAX uh, and elsewhere. And you know, I think we will see maybe a, an opportunity for a lot of those projects to come back. In the water sector, uh, we could see uh, renewed commitment depending on federal policy under the Biden administration, uh, where you have a increased investment in water treatment, water, water transportation, water supply, both for urban areas and, and also uh, exurban or rural areas. Uh, you know, we've talked about the impact of climate change and how there are certain projects which could be uh, sped along to in increase our resilience in the face of extreme weather events. So transmission projects on the power side uh, could become more useful. Uh, battery storage, certainly we're going to see a lot more uh, investments there. Uh, and mega projects, which you asked about. So for example, the diversion project in Fargo, uh, which recently benefited from some uh, settlements of long-standing long litigation. You know, that's going to be a major project for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers that could be done as a P3. That's right. Yeah, I uh, was going to ask about that a little later on. But yeah, obviously, we covered the big news earlier this week. I don't remember exactly which day it was about Fargo-Moorhead. Um, I mean, do we, you think the end could actually be near on that one? It's, I know it's been kind of in limbo for, I think, potentially since before I even joined information back in 2018. Yeah, the end could be near for litigation and permit uncertainty. Hopefully the beginning could be near for actually building something which will prevent floods mm -hmm. uh, in the area and will, and will satisfy the stakeholders who had opposition. In fact, you know, in some cases, legitimate opposition to some of the impacts that the original project which has now been redesigned through the settlement, you know, would have had. Yeah, right. So switching over to the political climate, what do you think the Biden administration's kind of murky outlook on natural gas means for natural gas projects that have been pretty solid in the pipeline, both in the U.S. and elsewhere? You know, do you think we could see instead a shift to focus on like hydrogen fuel cells or things like that instead? I don't know that it's either or. Uh, you know, investments in hydrogen fuel cells in, you know, so-called green ammonia as a precursor to, to green hydrogen, uh, you know, these are things which are long-term development prospects. You'll continue to see R&D, uh, public policy incentives, and eventually, I think, also uh, significant capital devoted to them. Uh, natural gas is, is different. For starters, it's incumbent technology. Uh, it's also relatively inexpensive. And in fact, there's sort of a almost counterintuitive relationship between low cost natural gas and the success we've had deploying solar and wind because those renewable uh, resources are intermittent and have often therefore required, if you don't have a lot of battery storage yet, have required peaking plants, usually natural gas plants, to supplement them in order to make them penetrate the grid as quickly as they have. California recently extended the life of some of its gas-fired power plants in order to maintain grid stability and reserve margins when the sun sets and solar power uh, stops producing. Uh, wind can mitigate some of that, hydro can mitigate some of that, but gas has been necessary, at least in the uh, short and medium term to meet that, that, that demand. So if gas is inexpensive, at the end of the day, that means that your reliable grid is less expensive to operate. As battery storage costs come down, uh, that can displace gas, but that hasn't happened yet. Uh, also gas is global and you know, the repurposing of LNG import terminals to be regas facilities for, for natural gas exports from the U.S., uh, the shift in LNG contracts to in the Pacific to become a little more 
nimble short-term spot markets like they are in the Atlantic and the Mediterranean, I think you're going to continue to see lots of LNG investment, especially in Asia, to fuel uh, demand uh, as to gas from Australia, from Malaysia, maybe Vietnam. Uh, Thailand finds its way uh, up north to China and Japan and Korea, where there's a tremendous demand for imported gas that will only continue. So kind of going back to Fargo-Moorhead, since we're talking about the Biden administration and Fargo-Moorhead obviously is a environmental-related project and the Biden administration has signaled that they will at, at the very least try to pass a lot of pro-environment legislation to keep it simple. Um, do you think a Biden administration could advocate for other similar projects, either through the USACE or other authorities, to for things like flood protection or other environmental goals? Yeah, I certainly do. I think you could see under their administration's policies an incentive for state and local governments to invest in projects that first prevent greenhouse gas emissions and things to contribute to climate change, second for things that make existing infrastructure more resilient than the impacts of weather events, the rising sea levels, coastal erosion, aquifer contamination, uh, extreme heat, which I mentioned before. Uh, you know, all of those things may demand help, and you could see them encouraging that. Now, for private investors, the question then is, what does that mean for uh, opportunities to invest? Not clear to me yet, although they do certainly support P3s as part of the toolkit, it's not clear to me what the model will be to translate the desire to have public investments in resiliency projects and the opportunities for either risk sharing, life cycle cost reduction, or, or availability payment-based you know, concessions that would give an opportunity for private investors. I think we'll see. Most of that probably will be done with public monies uh, or tax-exempt debt with government issuers would be my guess. Mm -hmm. And kind of rolling off of that, of course, we know that a lot of projects have to take some sort of federal, federal regulation into consideration. You know, that's nothing new, but with the change in administration to one more, like I said, focused on uh, things like greenhouse gas emission um, and infrastructure projects driven by that, uh, I mean, do you think that we could see more federal intervention than normal, or do you think it will probably stay more like it is? Um, I guess I'm thinking about things like the EPA or even the CDC getting involved in some deals. Yeah, I think it is, it's, it's an interesting question. And uh, the first thing I think you'll see is a reduction in friction uh, where they mm -hmm. can uh, that allows for the government's incentives toward investment to be more effective. So, for instance, you, you may have noticed during the uh, end of the campaign season um, that, the, that Joe Biden was pretty clear he's not jumping on the Green New Deal bandwagon. He took a lot of flack from the far left uh, of his own party uh, because of that. Uh, by the same token, I think you know ending subsidies for oil and gas or protections that they have, reliability shields. Uh, you know, fracking was a very complicated issue for him politically, uh, especially mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. But I, I think what you're going to start to see is regulatory clarity. So. And that may depend too on what happens with the Senate. If he's if he's lucky enough to pick up a couple Democratic senators from Georgia, and you have a Democratic Senate and House, you will see, I think, a bigger push legislatively. If that doesn't happen, if one or both of the Republican incumbent senators from Georgia is reelected, and Mitch McConnell is still running the Senate, uh, then I think you will see uh, two things happen: one, a need for compromise and bipartisanship, 
I worked on Capitol mm -hmm. Hill over 30 years ago. That used to exist. It could exist again, although most people don't expect that to happen. The other is executive orders and administrative policies. And that's where you have to look at the federal agencies. So staffing agencies fully, having the rulemaking process with you know the typical uh, transparency that's required coming through the agencies, executive orders in the White House and guidance from the White House to the agencies on how to enforce existing laws, environmental laws in particular, uh, without creating bottlenecks for implementation of large projects. I think that's what you're gonna start to see. So it'll, regardless of politics, what you'll start to see, I think is more predictability in public policy. Okay, so shifting away from politics and just back to a, a little bit more recent news, um, I'm not sure how much you can comment on this one, but I'm sure yesterday, I guess Wednesday and Thursday of this week, uh, we saw the news about Transurban selling 50% of their assets in the greater Washington area. Do you think others, um, particularly toll road operators, could follow suit with more secondary transactions to come in the next year? Yes, uh, I definitely do. And, you know, if you divide the market up, uh, greenfield development of new projects, that's not where all the action is uh, at the moment uh, in the infrastructure right. space, especially outside of energy. I mean, renewable energy, obviously, is still, we have a lot of new build. But deals like the, the transurban sale of its, uh, you know, a DC and Virginia-based roads, you know, that's the kind of a transaction I think we're going to see a lot more of. I'm working quite a bit with uh, both on the buy side and the sell side on transactions now that are really either asset or corporate M&A deals more than they are new build because there are infrastructure funds and private equity funds that need to deploy capital. They have mm -hmm. ample liquidity looking for a place to go and to be deployed and only limited time to do it. Valuations uh, have become a little more attractive, I think, because of uh, low interest rates and a perception that risk is not that great as we've discovered how resilient these uh, these cash flows can be in a recessionary environment you know demand is significantly lower i mentioned for air travel or hotels but demand for water is the same you know the ability of uh, governments to pay availability payments remains still kind of unconstrained notwithstanding the challenges that they have on tax collections you know because of the recession so i would expect that you'll see a lot more secondary activity it's going to differ by sector too. So, you know, this year already in 2020, uh, brownfield deals uh, were probably twice the volume uh, as, of greenfield deals. In renewables, we saw, you know, probably more comparable numbers, maybe still more, more greenfield deals slightly. Uh, transportation, again, by dollar amounts, uh, slightly more brownfield than greenfield. And then refinancings took up the bulk of uh, the rest of that, where basically longer term debt, cheaper priced debt because of low interest rates, or uh, extraction of value by refinancing and letting equity take some money off the table to redeploy in these other deals, the M&A deals I talked about. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we're, I think, going to see more of in 2021. Yeah, that's great. And definitely, I guess, what I, I had a feeling what you would say. Abby, yeah. I think one other thing I'd, I'd mention where we really see the most secondary market activity uh, in contrast to the percentage of capital that's going into new build is digital infrastructure and telecom. So that's a trend that might change. That's one where you will still, I think, see the secondary market activity, you know, acquisitions of data centers, acquisitions of cell phone uh, tower networks and the wireless backhaul that goes with it. Uh, longer term going forward, as you find more companies with displaced labor that still works from home, even a year or two from now, uh, schools shifting to distance learning sometimes on a, you know, for I think the, the partial shift will continue. 
and most importantly, the rollout of 5G. 5G is going to require massive investment in telecom and in the power to 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 provide um, the 5G, 5G uh, functionality. So we'll probably see a significant increase in new build or greenfield investment in, in on the digital side. Yeah, definitely. So just to wrap things up, what do you think is the most important thing to keep in mind instead of looking ahead to the 2021 market? Looking forward, I'd say probably the larger macroeconomic picture will be the most important. Low interest rate environment is probably going to continue. Long-term demand is probably still going to be forecasted to be strong. And that will, both those things will help valuation. And in the near term, I think we'll see recovery of, of demand in the parts of the markets that have, infrastructure markets that have been hit the most by the pandemic and the recession. So that coupled with greater regulatory certainty would be, uh, I think, all to the good. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I agree. And I certainly hope hope that's what we see. It's definitely encouraging to see the photos of people starting to get vaccines and hope that maybe some sort of end is somewhat near. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us this week. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, thank you very and much. To all, yeah. And to all listeners, have a lovely and relaxing holiday. We'll be back in January. Bye.